0: You're listening to a 3CR podcast of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Welcome
1: to
2: Unemployed Unemployed Workers Workers Fight
1: Back. Back. Join your hosts Anne and Kevin the second Friday of every month on The Sewer Show
2: between 5.30 and 6.30pm
1: here on 3CR Community Community Radio.
2: This is a show where we explore macroeconomic solutions
1: for the unemployed and underemployed.
2: Everyone, everyone in, in our, our community, community has value. Welcome to Unemployed Workers Fight Back on this Friday, the 25th of what month are we in?
1: <laughs> Still in March, Kevin. Hello oh, but... and hello to Larry and Larissa. Thank Larry you and Larissa... for joining us. Our listeners. I always think they're brought to us by the letter L. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: do you remember, now, talking about the polarisation of wealth. Yes. and. Uh, money going in one direction and not the other. You've done some fantastic interviews with uh, some fruit pickers.
1: Yes, to Kate and Sherry, a couple of women who've done fruit picking in Australia.
2: Excellent. It's coming
1: up, what's going on with our migrant workers? But because I am trying to be topical here, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I hate to bring this one up, Kevin, Mm -hmm. but I've got to do it because this coming Tuesday, the federal government will be handing us the national budget. So I hate to bring it up, but...
2: Well, no, that's that's our job. This is a macroeconomic show. It is. And we have to talk about these things.
1: So we've got to suck it up and do the federal budget. The only thing I really wanted to say about that was give people a few tips on how to listen to the commentary. Sure. First tip is to remember that when they're talking about spending this money in the federal budget, the only way the government can spend money is by creating money. So it creates money at the same time that it spends money. So that means that when the federal government is spending money, it's not going anywhere to go and find the money. It's not getting it from anywhere else. So it's not going to rich people and borrowing it off them. (laughs) It's not taking the dollars from us through taxing us.
2: It's not going to China and borrowing from China? (laughs) Because guess what? China doesn't make Australian dollars.
1: So when you're listening to somebody talking about the uh, federal budget, Just remember that even though this word budget gets used, it's nothing like a household budget. Households are currency users. We don't create money when we spend money, but the federal government, when it's creating a budget, it's also going to create the money. So that's my first tip. Second tip is that if you hear anybody talking about the federal budget, and they talk about repairing the budget. Oh. Now, you as a handyman, Kevin, yes. who repairs things, yes. this oh. misuse of the word repair. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, it's just, it's so misused.
1: So, anyone talks about repairing the budget, what they're saying to you is, I don't know how the economy works. So, you have our permission not to listen to them or at least to take them with a big grain of salt.
2: And it's always a bit disconcerting when you realise that the Treasurer and the Prime Minister <laughs> are people who don't know how the economy works.
1: It's a bit worrying, oh. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Tip number three. If you do happen to come across anyone talking about the federal budget as seems to be the annual ritual, if they're talking about that they can't do spending because they've got to pay back the debt, that's also somebody saying, I don't know how the economy works. Right. (laughs) And you have our permission not to listen to them.
2: (laughs) You can throw something soft at the television. Don't throw anything hard because you'll break your TV.
1: (laughs) Arm yourself with a bunch of socks.
2: (laughs) Don't throw the cat either.
1: Tip number four. This is my last tip, Kevin. Sure, okay. If you hear any of the commentary around the federal budget, and you hear people saying they can't afford to spend money on something, for example, uh, raising the pay rates for people working in aged care. If you hear anyone saying that we can't afford that," they are also saying, "I don't know how the economy works. I don't know how the economy works. Or, they might know how the economy works, but they're using it as an excuse not to do spending that they don't want to do.
2: I would suggest that they know how the economy works about two or three hundred years ago. And that they just haven't kept up to date, because sometimes <laughs> a lot of the things, a lot of the things they say applied a couple hundred years ago. Um, as as our economies have changed, as they've gone from a gold standard to attaching a currency to a, uh, the US dollar to the fiat currency that we have now, all the dynamics change. Now, look, I've got so much to say about that. But first of all, we're going to listen to Asteroid Ecosystem, <laughs> which is a collaboration between Alastair Spence and uh, Ed Cooper, who went and saw it not long ago, and it was really, really good. the Alistair Spence Trio with um, Ed Cooper Mm. uh, and their song called Face of the Atom. And I'll let you off light. That was like a six-minute track. There's a couple of 11-minute tracks there and it rambles and it goes into all sorts of weird (laughs) space. And if you want to see what the rest of it's like, go and check it out. Uh, Where
1: were we? It's the use of temporary migrant workers. And I was actually just wondering, like, has the role or the use of temporary migrant workers in our economy, does that ever hit your radar very much?
2: Well, it does now because, because there's so much of a shortage in, in the workplace and, mm. and I, I never realised the extent that uh, overseas and temporary workers were being used in Australia to prop up our economy.
1: Yeah, well, pre-pandemic there were over a million temporary migrant workers in Australia. Then when we closed our borders, about half of that population went back to their countries of origin. These people work in all sorts of places. You're probably getting served by them in cafes and restaurants and bars. A lot of them are invisible. Like a lot of them you won't see because they're cleaning offices around midnight and they're cleaning stadiums after football games. Mm -hmm. So they are in our cities. But you also won't see the ones that are in our fields and our orchards. And they're the ones I was really interested in. So let's have a listen. Right now... In Australia, as we speak, temporary migrant workers are labouring away in what many commentators have called slave like conditions. And everybody knows. Today, in the first of two shows, we will hear from pickers about what it is like to work in Australia's horticultural sector picking fruit and vegetables. Reports going back to the early 2000s. Consistently reveal the vast majority of horticultural workers earn less than the minimum casual rate, some as little as $3 per hour. This is so widespread, some commentators describe wage theft as a business model. In our first part today, we will hear from Kate, who has been picking fruit and veg for about three years now. Kate trained as a computer engineer in her native Taiwan, and she was in South Australia when we spoke. We will also hear from Sherry Huang, who told me her own story and also stepped in to translate for Kate as needed. With a background in sociology, Sherry now works at the Migrant Workers Centre here in Melbourne, and she has her hands full, keeping up with the parliamentary inquiries as well as helping individual workers. For more insights into life in Australia's orchards, we also return to a conversation Kevin had back in December 2020 with his mate Tex Stone. Welcome to the show, Kate. Hello. So, hello, Sherry.
0: Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me today. Why you want to do this program? (laughs) Well, now the interview is
1: going the other way. (laughs) So um, I have been unemployed on and off for about five or six years. So sometimes working, sometimes not working. And before that, I knew nothing about unemployment here in Australia. And then I find that it is um, very bad pay, like very bad um, money. It is half the official poverty line. Also, the experience of going and getting the payments is very degrading. They make you feel like you're a bad person. And also the industry, and it's called employment industry, is, um, is not an employment industry. It is actually a compliance industry. They are enforcing a contract between the government and the unemployed person. And so their job is to make you do what the government wants you to do. And that's got nothing to do with finding work. It's got to do with making you feel like a bad person. And now I listen in the media to hear, when is the media talking about unemployed? What is the media saying? In 2020, the media said, Australian unemployed workers are too lazy to get off the couch and go and pick fruit. And I'm like, this is the first time I have been invited to pick fruit. (laughs) What is going on? Like, what is going on? I do not understand. Usually they don't say we're too lazy to pick fruit. I never heard that before. We're too lazy for other things, but not picking fruit. So I um, start to read, I start to investigate what is happening.
0: Can I make some comment? And then I will translate. I'm making notes, I will translate. <laughs> <laughs> I participate the in inquiry with a backpacker program. But funny thing is, and one of it is made a comment and it's saying we should send a, a football team because this is off-season and it's in the football thing. <laughs> You can read the transcript. It's actually in the transcript. They say, <laughs> and then there's a COVID. They can't play football anyway. Why don't we send them to the farm and pick them fruit? <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you want to do this program?
1: Yes, because I wanted to understand who was picking the fruit and why was the government worried now, then I understand 10 years of some investigation, some inquiries, reports, 10 years saying backpackers are treated very badly. Mm. Why is this happening? And also, after I hear the government say, you're too lazy to pick fruit... I read some media that says 15,000 Australians did pick fruit plus thousands of Australians unemployed asked to pick fruit and the farmer says, no, we don't want you. So they do not want citizens because they know their rights. They know we should not get $50 for a day, right? Australians, yes, they do want to work, but (laughs) if you don't pay us, we don't
0: work. And also they pick very slow. (laughs) (laughs) That would be me.
1: Also, we understand with the economics that... The government keeps unemployment deliberately. The government chooses to have unemployment at around 4 or 5%. That's what they want. And they do that to keep uh, wages down for the whole economy. Um, using migrant workers keeps wages down too, but it's a slightly different game. They're both games, I think, but slightly
0: different.
3: And
0: I want to say that I have been working in the farm industry for three years. I have never seen any Australian working in the farm. All I see is the migrant workers. And now you're talking about... Inviting or recruit more migrant workers from ACN country. So why don't we just raise up the payment and then make everybody like in you know, the living wages? And in that case, everybody happy. That's the point I wanna make. So what ha- what what will happen if the wages going up?
2: Uniper, I'm an economist at the University of Newcastle, and you're listening to Unemployed Workers Fight Back on Radio 3CR.
0: So, um, I actually arrived in Australia about 10, 11 years ago, and I was um, working holiday visa planning to have a holiday, not working full time, but having a holiday in a regional area. So I spent two years working around different uh, farms, all in Victoria.
3: At the
0: very beginning, I was thinking of just earning money and then go travel, because I'm not from a very uh, wealthy family. So I, I did that. I travel all around Australia. I get the chance to meet uh, different people from all around the world and I'm, I'm very enjoying outside enjoying
3: outside working, yeah. And I'm working many fun like uh, orange, strawberry, flower, piggery.
0: Picking tomato uh picking strawberries, lilies apples because I'm a city girl <laughs> and I spent my whole youth in the university so I was like giving this whole you know fantasy imagination about farm work all you have to deal with every day was just fresh fruit fresh air <laughs> beautiful scenery <laughs> <laughs> Shocking, like when I start taking the work. Yeah.
1: Tell me what
0: is shocking about it. My first farm is actually in Shepton, but it's not in Shepton. It's in Munupuna, which is <laughs> quite remote area. <laughs> And then I remember, because we contacted the labor hire, and then he said, Oh, all you have to do just buy a ticket from Southern Cross, jump on the train, and then we will pick you up from the train station. And then we just, okay, and walk to the Southern Cross station, grab the tickets, and then finally arrived. And... It just feels so remote and then there's nobody. (laughs) It just trees and then the birds. (laughs) It's just kind of funny feeling. And then they pick us up and saying, oh, okay, this trip is like $6. Mm. The farm is always located in the middle of nowhere. So you need to get food. So you have to rely on the labor hire because they have the van. Mm. So they will give you a trip to the close by town, town center, and then they will charge you money, of course. And then you gotta buy all the food you need for the rest of the week. We try to walk to the town center and then it's like an hour walk. Distance. (laughs) Life pattern is actually quite different. I mean, out of my imagination because we woke up early morning 5, 5.30 and then heading to the farm and then start doing the work. Yeah, and so then how did you get out to the actual
1: fields from the house?
0: You know, the farmhouse and then the farm actually just crossing the road. But because the labour hire want to get some, you know, extra income, so they say you can't because it's dangerous. <laughs> It's dangerous crossing the road. <laughs> so they'd be able to charge you six dollars a day. To cross the road <laughs> and then they charge 13% of a service as well. 13% what? They, they call it service, yeah. A random service charge as well.
1: Mm. When they're charging you, do you hand them the money straight away or at the end of the month do you find that they've charged you?
0: They deduct from
1: your payroll. So you just don't see the money.
0: Yeah. The other thing that I find quite funny and interesting is the the peace rate argument.
1: Can you describe what peace rate is for people who might
0: not know about it? So peace rate is actually an incentive system because every worker in a country, if they're working... Any industry, you are entitled to have a minimum wage. right? Mm-hmm. And the thing is, piece is supposed to be like a system that encourages you to do more. But what happened now is, lots of farmer they were using piece rate as a pay scale, not paying them by minimum legal wage, but paying them by a uh, piece rate. By how many pieces of something? I got a couple of cases came in. in. In particular, in a regional area, you normally you have to line up on in the middle of the street. And then some van will park and then pick you up and then saying, oh, we need five workers today. If you're available to pick a strawberry or pick whatever, then jump in. And then it will be catching hand or whatever. A girl saying she jump in and she said she arrived in this great farm and then the job is pruning. So the first day she walking, never seen a grapes on the on the vine before. First time it was endless vine. <laughs> the endless grapes. So her job is doing the pruning and she says she just take her time and there's nobody else. She was the only one that farmed that day. And when when she walks through the vine the first row, that was half day. <laughs>
1: Just one row for half a day.
0: (laughs) That's right. And then she walked back and two rows. (laughs) Those three guys in total she earned $27. (laughs) Wow.
1: Kate, can you describe how many hours a day you might be working and how much you would be paid in these different jobs.
3: So you, you want the uh, uh, best first or bad?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Give me the bad one first.
3: Okay. And bad one is uh, from last year, Peking Orange. So I just drive my car and, and come to and find share house and start walking. Like uh, almost uh, 500 kilometers, one bin, but only
1: $25. $25 to pick. Yeah. 500 kilos.
0: 500 kilo. Wow. Yeah.
3: First first day I'm working. I can't handle. So I'm not not, not weak, okay? I'm very strong. And first day, I'm whoa, <laughs> too heavy because this latter uh, like like uh, a It's about three-story
0: high. Yeah, because
3: it's a
1: big tree, orange tree carrying heavy loads up and down a ladder every day.
3: Yeah, every day. And uh, one one day, if it's a good day, no rainy, work maybe almost 10 hours one day. Yeah, and no day off. Only rainy day have day off. This is very terrible. So
1: no weekend. No weekend. Do you remember how much you were being paid on the strawberries?
3: You know, really no experience. So first time I'm picking strawberry, I I want to get 88 day second visa. And first day I'm picking strawberry, maybe 12 hours, I hope hope and one day have $50. (laughs)
1: $50 after 12 hours work.
3: Yeah, so so before uh, I have other housemen. after work, we told oh, so tired. I hope we one day can make $50, uh, uh, but with no money. So every, every time we just buy very cheap toast and, and cho- chocolate to get the toast and lunch.
1: <laughs> so you're living on toast and... <laughs> and chocolate.
3: <laughs> because 80 cents, one, one toast, so very cheap.
1: And strawberries.
3: <laughs> it's strawberry.
1: And chocolate.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but chocolate need money. <laughs> but I need to say, after three month, four months, I'm picking strawberry very fast. One day I can make money, maybe 200 more or 300. In high season, one day.
1: Two or three hundred, one day. That's pretty good. And how does your body feel after that? How do you feel?
3: After my, my back, my boss and uh, take me go like a hospital. Hus- uh, no,
0: okay, so later on, my boss took me to the massage shop because I injured my back. Yeah, very bad. And have you recovered now? As long as not doing the picking, I'm good.
4: They treat them like slaves, pretty much. I've heard of people being locked in at night you know, only allowed out for one hour a day to get their their groceries and all sorts of weird stuff.
2: A mate of mine, Tex, who's a fruit picker.
4: And there's the thing of spraying chemicals as well, which is bad. They're not supposed to spray whilst people are in the orchard. But I I, I felt, the last time I worked on an orchard, I felt the the spray on my face from when they were going right past us. And it's all residual chemicals that cause cancer and people will just drop, you know.
0: Job in a tomato farm is in the greenhouse. It was a summertime and it was extremely hot. We're talking about outside, probably 40 degrees, inside, probably 45 to 46 degrees. And you gotta drink a lot of water, but because you drink a lot of water, you need to pee a lot too. <laughs> so you need to go to a toilet, you need to take a break. But yeah, I think when the conditions physically it's very tiring because you have to move the boxes. You have to packing and picking. It's just yeah, exhaust exhaustion. Yeah. And then back then, ten years ago, it's already a common practice as a cashing hand job. So the farmer will just handing you a cash instead of um, there's no pay slips, no whatsoever. There's no insurance like will cover. No.
1: The cash in hand part, it's a problem because then you're not protected under
0: regular labour law. In particular, like the working jury. When you're
1: injured on the job.
0: Yeah. For lots of international students, it's very difficult for them to pay in the tuition fees, get the food on the table or get a roof on the, on the top of uh, their head. So, so in that case, they, they're looking for quick income. Which is like cashing hand.
1: Kate and Sherry and your mate, Tech Stone. It was a while ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah, talking about life in the orchards, very typical stories about our horticultural sector. Uh, there's one little piece of good news, which is that at the end of last year, the Fair Work Commission closed this loophole in the horticultural award so that now people have to be paid the minimum wage. They can't just be paid those piece rates. And I just have to read Clause (laughs) 15.2 from the Horticultural Award, which is this clause that was the loophole. So who knew that in Australia there was one award, the Horticultural Award, that said, nothing in this award guarantees an employee on a piecework rate will earn at least the minimum ordinary hourly rate as the employee's earnings are contingent on their productivity.
2: The piece rate should be used on top of a minimum wage. Right, that was the intention, but they got
1: around it. So now, if any picker is making less than $25.41 an hour, that means someone's breaking the law. I don't know where they got the one from. (laughs) I've just seen the negotiations. be $25.41 an hour.
2: You're listening to Unemployed Workers Fight Back. A show all about the economics and experience
1: of unemployment and underemployment.
2: Here
4: on 3CR Community Radio. You can't stay at the backpackers unless you work at these orchards. And if you don't work at these orchards, you have to be out within 24 hours of the backpackers, even though there's a week in advance payment. And they don't get it back.
2: To me, it sounds very much like a modern-day endangered labour program, uh, basically working for food and
4: board. Well, these guys are paying in the end for food and board and working on top. And the orchardists think that's fine, and so do the guys running the backpackers.
1: Well, tell me about the worst room that you've
0: had.
3: Um, um Before, I'm picking strawberry um. We have like a, oh, like like a
0: shipping container. Mm. Yeah, just like a shipping con- container. And then they, they, cut, they cut the metal. They just make the, um, a, a door. And then you can walk in to the shipping container. How many people? Sorry, I was living in a shipping container before too. But only two people. I, I can't imagine they put six beds inside one shipping container.
3: Inside I have six bags but we only I think five girls or four girls. And, and before and and um, living a ship container and two people but uh it's a small one. But if we have six bags, it's a
1: very big one. What is a shipping container like inside? Like do you see the metal walls of a shipping container?
3: <laughs> very bad. Yeah inside. Very bad very dirty, but we together clean. Do they have windows? No, no window. But but you know, in the night very cold.
1: <laughs> mm, no insulation. I guess you're not in them during the day, but I imagine they must get very hot.
3: Yeah, very hot. But we uh, go to work, but we still living inside very happy because everyone is very good friend.
1: <laughs> yeah. You have good co-workers, but. Uh, you have a shipping container to live in.
3: <laughs> yeah, and the shower and dirty.
1: And where? where's the toilet and the bathroom? Are they in a different building?
3: Yes, outside or outside.
1: And how many share the bathroom?
3: How many people share? Oh, so many people. Maybe 10 or maybe 20. So sometimes we... <laughs> We go men um, uh, shower because land water more hot and go shower and hot water just slowly, slowly. So sometimes we say, hey, we go men shower. Run. And
1: the men are in shipping containers too? Yes. So this farm has a row of shipping containers. I'm trying to imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And how did you do your cooking?
3: um go to the uh, uh, kitchen. And many people, and everyone cooking, you just make a new space or sometimes too much people, you're waiting,
1: yeah. And uh, what's the house like where you are now?
3: Um, th- this house is uh, my accommodation right now. I'm living here uh, one year. Um, it's good because it's my, uh, I choose, not farmer choose, so it's good, single room.
4: We hear about women being harassed. Oh, I've seen it um, heaps. Of. I caught um, the truck driver of the boss's friend at the last orchard, the apple orchard I worked on. He got caught upskirting a girl. They used to go around the orchard calling girls derogatory names by their pussy and stuff. Like, And that was commonplace. And I was like, this can't happen because that's actually a form of harassment. So he made my job more difficult at that orchard being the foreman.
1: When you say for women to be careful, um, does that mean on the farm you need to be careful?
3: You know, talking me, something dirty wall and won't touch my body. Oh. Really? Before I'm picking oranges, uh, I'm picking orange. I use letter. This uh, contractor is in front and he, he touched my leg. I said, don't touch me, okay? Because, you know, uh, you're picking and nobody's, only uh, me and him. And he said, "Oh, no worry. Uh, I just... and um, you tired? I help you massage." I said, "I don't need massage. You know, like a kind of like this, and uh, many times, or talking." Said, so, "Oh, uh, uh, you want come to my house or something? Just feeling very bad."
1: This happened many times.
3: Mm, this person many, but other person is like a different. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe men feeling. It's funny or something, but I'm really not really funny.
1: It's not funny, especially when you're alone in the field, there's no one near to you.
3: Yeah, I think like a guys, Lane is smart. Lane, is like a double face. You know, They can pretend smiling, but if Lane interesting some Asian woman, dirty.
1: Yeah. So, how, do the women kind of talk talk about this with each other?
3: Mm. I think, not,
0: not really talking about it because I'm the only backpacker in that farm, and the rest of it, it's all Indian. And then they was like, "Oh, the farmer is very good." People probably not talking about it, but I feel like you're talking about it probably because I couldn't, you know, hide a secret inside of me. But I think I really need to stood up for myself. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au. During
1: the pandemic lockdown, when Australia's borders were closed, the Australian government put out the support packages in the form of the Job Keeper and the Job Seeker. Like it had to have been deliberate that people who were here on temporary visas including the international students, including the working holiday makers, they were not eligible for any of this support. Do you have any theories about that?
0: I don't know, because Scott Morrison was just saying, go home, because <laughs> you can't get any support here. <laughs> he said, go home. huh? So that, that's why we organised some online forum. We want to hear the voice from the ground. Like, even the people who decided to go home, they can't because their border might be closed too. So there's no way for them to enter their own country. And because lots of flights have been cancelled and cancelled and cancelled, so they have to keep rescheduling. And then in the end, they they just simply can't afford the airfare to fly back. And then classic experiences from a worker, she says she actually saved up three years to be able to afford the trip to come to Australia doing working holiday, and she said, "I don't wanna give up because three years I worked so hard back home, and I'd be able to save up, and this is my dream to come to you know Western country, spend some time in the farm or whatever, and then exploring the world. So how 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 are you gonna ask them to give up like all of a sudden and go home? It's just not that simple." Mm. We had a lot of cases like people on international student visa. They have to pay the tuition and then that's very drastic for them because the school was saying, yeah, it's online schooling now, but you still need to pay your tuition. Otherwise, we'll cancel your visa.
1: The person has no power to negotiate their situation.
0: Yeah. Kate... Do
1: you think, because there was a pandemic and you were having trouble finding work, do you think that the orange farm was taking advantage of you and other people? Uh,
3: I, I feel like beginning only beginning because uh, now, if border no not open, for wind worker is very good because too much job we can choose because every farmer need worker, but beginning. Very
0: like a. Um, it was a very chaos at the very beginning. Because, um, backpackers all stock. Lots of backpackers, they have to move in from one place to the other. And how are they gonna do the um, self isolation? This. <laughs> it, it was so crazy at the very beginning. So the message
1: that you were getting from the Australian coalition government when the borders closed was go home. Mm. And at the same time, that was about when the message around lazy unemployed workers get out there and pick the fruit. So that was the the mindset that was uh dealing with these two
3: populations. <laughs>
0: yes, we really, really, really upset because at the very beginning, even Kiwi, they give the uh, visa holders uh, be able to extending their visa. But when Scott Morrison was saying, "Go home, if you can't survive, go home." it's will really pissed off. Very pissed off. time to go home, da. Because on uh, one hand, the farmer saying, oh, there's a no, no picker, no workers to do the job. But on the other hand, the other Australian was saying, those of uh, migrant workers are still out of our job. And then when there's a, there's a fruits and a veggies left behind in the farm, and then people were saying, hey, we need someone to do that job. And then, what, what kind of a play they are <laughs> running right now? Like, what should we do?
1: The Australian Federal Government is very happy to have the workers here doing the work, but when it comes time to support them, suddenly, <laughs> you know, it's easy to ignore people. Uh, so can you describe what it was like for you or your friends to not have that support because... The Australian federal government did not offer relief money to migrant workers. How did you survive that time? Ah, uh, it's
3: very good story. Uh, my friend and one night, uh, he said, "Hey, we we go dumpster diving." And I I say, "Huh? What what's dumpster diving? Is skydiving?" I said, no, 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 In jumping in the bin, I really don't understand. I said, why why bin inside have food? It's rubbish. And he said, no, 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 follow me. Tonight, follow me. You can understand everything. And after I go downstairs diving, wow, open my eyes. Really, so many food. Some food still very good. So we take, take and go home cooking. Wow, we go course. LD, every week maybe do three times or two times. So we don't need to pay money for food. Everything's free.
1: How did you do the rent?
3: Oh, this uh, uh, for free is like a,
0: a, 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 a couch server. Couch surfing. Mm. Yeah. As long as we do some cleaning for the landlord, that we don't need to pay the rent.
1: Couch surfing and dumpster diving is how you survived.
0: Uh, red cross i think red cross had an emergency fund to support the temporary migrant workers too you're listening to 3cr 855 am on digital and on the internet www.3cr.org.au
2: Federal Agricultural Minister David Littleproud weighed into the debate claiming fruit was rotting because unemployed Australians would rather sit on the couch. Of course they would. They'd rather be poked in the <laughs> eye with a stick than, than be subjected to uh, the conditions that are being told out in these yeah, in these yeah. uh, in these orchards.
1: On this show, we talked to a couple of people who both said that they tried to get the work and they were refused.
2: Back in the day, I remember back in the 80s, gun pickers could earn good money, um, but that's all changed now. And it sounds like it's been undermined by this system of of, um, exploiting backpackers.
4: Yeah, well, right now I've got a gun picker in Queensland. He does adventure tourism. On his off time. he does apples or or bananas. Like this guy will pick 15 apple bins a day, which is unheard of, you know. Ah. And he's willing to put up a crew together to go around orchards in Australia to to be gun pickers, but no one will hire us. As a crew, as a picking crew, because yeah. we'd pick twice as much as everyone else and we'd expect the, the proper amount of money. You want to get paid for what yeah, you pick. we know what we're doing.
2: My uh, old buddy Tex, Tex Stone, who is a fruit picker. Uh,
4: before the coronavirus pandemic, unemployment in Tasmania was fairly high, especially for young people. Obviously, since the pandemic, things have gotten much, much worse. You hear about one position being available in the local shop and you have up to 2,000 people applying for it. And we've had government ministers in Tasmania say that people just need to apply for jobs and get on with it. They've been promoting fruit picking as well (laughs) because usually that's a tourist job uh, and seasonal worker job. And even then I've spoken to people in Young Labor who have applied for fruit picking jobs and they haven't been able to get those jobs either. Young Tasmanians aren't lazy. You just can't find a job if a job doesn't exist.
1: Benjamin Dudman, President of Tasmanian Young Labour. They tried to get the work and they were refused. At the same time, in the media, the government and other people are saying they
0: can't find workers. Uh, my friend in uh, high country, they say all of a sudden after the JobKeeper program opened up, lots of uh, Australians are spending their weekend in the regional area picking fruit. But lots of uh, complaint from them too. They were saying... It's under peace rate. They only be able to earn fifty dollars over the weekend. <laughs> so they say it's not even enough to cover the travel
1: cost. It's not about being too lazy to get off the couch. It's that it's an exploitation
0: industry. I mean, when you ask a question about why not Australian go to pick their own fruit, <laughs> I think they know better how much they should get paid but the fundamental question is supposed to be why don't the employer pay the right rate because when you short of a labor force to pick a strawberry or whatever craft, you should pay people more to do the job but no they would rather to open up a door and invite another cohort come in who got no idea whatsoever about their right putting them more you know in a vulnerable position mm. I think the farmers, the employers, they prefer the migrant workers to do the picking and packing. Like they don't know their right whatsoever. I'll give you an example. I got a chance to meet up with other backpackers from other ethnic backgrounds. There's a Canadian guy. He said, you know, I spent half a year in Tasmania trying to look for the farm job because I want to extend my visa. But every time when I approach the farmer he said no. They they all say no. The reason is we know better. We understand the language and then we understand our work rights. So they more prefer like workers from Asian background. So he ended up driving buses. <laughs>
2: So it's not, it's not a case of um, we need these overseas workers to come and fill a void that's left by lazy dole bludgers in Australia. It's a system that's set up to actively exploit overseas workers who are obliged to do 88 days work. Well, that's
4: what's happened, yeah. Like uh, most of the orchardists won't hire Australians. They want people that won't fight back. They won't hire Kiwis and Australians primarily. So it's hard for people to get out there, let alone finance getting out there. If, if, you, if you've got a house, you've got to pack down a house in one place, pay to get there, and then it's potentially unstable work.
1: There are many ways that you can keep up to date with 3CR news, events, and programs. The 3CR website is a great spot to catch all your shows via audio on demand or scroll through our range of podcasts. It's also where you can sign up to our monthly newsletter, buy yourself a new t shirt, or check out archival audio from past broadcasts. Of course, we're also on Twitter at 3CR and Instagram at 3CR Melbourne. But don't forget our mighty AM band. Catch us anytime on 855 AM. Keep in touch, 3cr.org.au. Kate, what would be your advice... To other people coming in who want to breathe the great outdoor air in Australia and pick and pack the fruit. So, what would be your advice to people wanting to come and work in Australia?
3: I would suggest
0: them first thing first is you need to know how to drive because without car you can hardly move around the country and the second thing is to watch out the labor hire (laughs) so lots of a bad labor hire in the field and then third thing is particularly for female for girls you have to be super cautious
4: If, if you are going to go picking any fruit, look for somewhere that has regular pickers. And that's, the, for me, the best way to tell that your boss is going to treat you fairer is that he's got workers that come back because all the orchards that, that don't like hiring locals are the ones that go through the most staff and they never have people that have been picking for more than a year. It's generally good to get there a couple of weeks early to get the better orchards, you know? And research your orchards and ask a few locals They will tell you who the good ones are and who the good ones aren't. And the good ones go quick.
1: I understand, Sherry, that you work at the Migrant Workers' Centre here in Melbourne.
0: Yeah, that's right. We receive a lot of uh, complaints from the workers. So first thing that we do is actually deliver the information about their work rights. And then second is if there's grievances or you know, wage theft or whatever happened with their workplace, that at least we can provide an initial uh, legal assistance. Kate, what would
1: you like to say to Australian farmers or the Australian government uh, to make your experience better or to make the experience of other people better?
3: I hope they can give us that...
1: Medicare. Medicare. What would help you is to have Medicare coverage while you're in Australia?
0: I feel it's very important because the the expenses. They, they say you should buy your own uh, private cover, but it's very expensive. They actually cover the European, but not Asian. Oh,
1: wait, what? Ah, racist. please explain. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Because the, the government, they were saying that the reason that the European backpacker can be uh, entitled to get the Medicare is because the quota is similar. Like, it's a pretty much a similar Australian travel to European country, and then pretty much similar yeah, number. So uh, South Korean were trying to argue with that at the very beginning. And then they were saying, oh, we only got what dozens of Australian fight to South Korea because it's an exchange program,
1: you know. Mm. Some Europeans can get Medicare on the backpacker visa, but if you're from other countries, you can't get Medicare. Amazing. This,
0: this is a new policy, actually. I think they only release it. 2017 or 18, that they included Italian and then British, maybe German.
1: Mm. I guess I could also ask, what would you say to the average Australian who walks into the supermarket and buys their carrots and buys their potatoes and whatever else? What do you
0: want them to know? Uh, sometimes when we're doing shopping in the shopping center, and we saw the apple or whatever, we will say, hey, I packed that one, hey, I picked that one. But if we say, talk to Australian about this, and I will say, maybe more treasure your food. Cause when I did the dumpster diving, I even, we even had a lobster, like a fresh lobster, for free.
3: Temporary migrant workers or
0: migrant workers, we arrive here, we pay visa fees, we pay tax, and then same job conditions, same same work, supposed to uh, guarantee same pay as well. (laughs)
3: 它不是說那個, 呃, 想要改變什麼,
0: 我想... And then I want to say that why don't we just raise up the payment and then make everybody like in the living wages and in that case that everybody happy That's the point I want to make
1: Thank you, Sherry, so much for your time and all the good work that you're doing to help the most vulnerable people in Australia. So thank you very much. Thank you.
0: Thank you for having me today.
1: Thank you, Kate, for coming on the show. Really glad to have you.
3: Oh, thank you so much.
2: You're listening to Unemployed Workers Fight Back here on 3CR Community Radio. Makes you proud to be Australian, doesn't it, man? (laughs)
1: So there was our temporary migrant workforce trapped in Australia without any support except what was coming through charities like the Red Cross.
2: Dumpster diving and couch surfing because our government apparently can't afford to look after migrant workers and and they're being used to put downward pressure on wages.
1: The situation of temporary migrant workers is sort of similar to the situation of unemployed workers in that both groups get used to put downward pressure on wages. yeah. Both groups uh, are manipulated by the government with false hopes. So unemployed workers are manipulated in the sense that they're told by going to these employment agencies they'll get a job. And temporary migrant workers get the carrot of permanent residency held out in front of them.
2: If they stick around for however long it takes.
1: You know, both of them are scapegoated by populist politicians and demonised in the media. But they were so,
2: so chirpy. So, like, no, I guess if you don't laugh.
1: If you don't <laughs> laugh exactly, you cry.
2: Oh. They sound like just really nice people. Oh, they're They're, wonderful.
1: We had such a great conversation. Um, And so this is going to be a two-part podcast. And next time you and I get together, Kevin, Mm -hmm. what I want to do is answer the question, just what is it that keeps somebody in a field 10 hours a day under the hot sun working sometimes for as little as $3 an hour? What are the forces at work in Australia that are putting people into that situation?
2: It's kind of a theme that scales itself through our economy. Like, what keeps anybody in work?
1: Well, I call it the seven circles of temporary migrant worker hell. Right. (laughs) And we heard mention of a couple of the circles. Kate mentioned the 88 days. Right. So one of the circles are the visas and the conditions that come with them. And one of the many visas is this working holidaymakers visa. And if people want to extend their stay in Australia to the second year they are required, they have to go and do 88 days' work in regional Australia.
2: It's basically saying if you want to stay here for another year, you need to go and be a slave for 88 Mm -hmm. days. Yeah,
1: because people are effectively working for the right to be here rather than for the money.
2: And so what that means is that if you are a regular fruit picker and you want to work and get paid properly, you're competing against people who are indentured to be here and that puts downward pressure on wages.
1: Exactly. That's how that works and that's how that drives Australians out of the workforce there. And I'm quite looking forward to the documentary. There's a woman who is from Norway who's making a film called 88 Days a Slave and that's in production and we might be able to get her on the show one day. And the other uh, circle of hell that we we heard mention is these labour hire companies and they are like a third party intermediary that is funnelling people from other countries into certain sectors of Australia's economy
2: like you think oh, I and the labour hire companies uh, are a bunch of shonky crooks and, and some of them probably are. And some of mm-hmm. them are probably trying to genuinely help people stay afloat.
1: So, you know, you mentioned that some of them might be shonky. There was a report in 2019, which was led by Dr. Joanna Howe, an academic. And that report noted about the labour hire companies, I'll just read this sentence jumped out at me. It appears that organized crime does have a role in misleading workers in their home countries and enticing them into significant debt to fund an all-inclusive package involving a visa, flights, pre-arranged accommodation and employment. Oh,
2: bloody hell. And the whole thing is about pressure from the top. As we live in a more economically polarised society, the profits that, that filter through to the top put pressure all the way down through the chain till mm-hmm. you end up with people mm. couch surfing and going and, and, and dumpster diving to to survive uh, before they can go and live in a shipping container again. <laughs> exactly. Great, great. You know, and uh, we facilitate this. We've got to go. But go, uh, uh, Vicky's uh, knocking at the door. Mafalda's coming Ooh. up next, and um, uh, that was a good. I enjoyed tonight's show. But yeah. till next time, see you in a couple of weeks. See you then, Kevin.
1: You've been listening to Unemployed Workers Fight Back.
2: Join us the second and fourth Friday of each and every month as part of the Sewer Show on 3CR.
1: Listen to this show as a podcast by going to 3cr.org.au.
2: We thank all our guests, and I thank you, Anne.
1: And I thank you, Kevin.
2: Oh, no, the pleasure was all mine.
1: Oh, no, Kevin, the pleasure was all mine.
2: You mean all the pleasure was yours?
1: Kevin, I think I took all the pleasure on this one.
2: <laughs> well, if you took all the pleasure, that means I, there's no pleasure for me at all, and I, oh. I quite enjoyed myself. So if you've got all the pleasure, then what, I had no I had no pleasure? I think we should share the pleasure. <laughs> well, we're going to have to share the pleasure, because, you know, like, I
1: don't mind you having pleasure, but don't take all the pleasure. Well, it was very pleasurable, so I'm glad that... We-